All right, I want uh, to, today, we're of course starting in this semester on moving forward in discipleship, steps to take in discipleship. There's a number of different angles depending upon your degree focus. Uh, but uh, I thought with our burden right now about prayer, especially with this coming weekend, that I would take a combined chapel and talk about the absolute necessity of prayer when it comes to successful discipleship. I mean, it is really step one, two, three, four. And to, have, to miss that uh, would be <coughs> sad. So turn with me to Colossians 4, if you would. Colossians 4. And uh, I would like for us to look at this passage here today. As we look at the condition in our country... Discipleship based upon the fullness of the Great Commission is the answer. And we have to understand that. Uh, we can't look for some instantaneous answer. I do believe God will have some movings of the Spirit if we will obey. I'm really believing that. But as we think of ministry, it's going to be one person after another transformed. And see, one person affects a lot of people. So you march forward affecting people's lives, that has a ripple effect that is just tremendous. And then that's when God can really pour out His Spirit, when people are seeking the Lord. But to see that kind of transformation has to come through prayer. And so we need to realize, as has been said often now in the last several weeks, that uh, we have got to be very purposeful when it comes to seeing transformation. Thomas Sowell, a conservative professor and economist wrote recently, he observed that the collapse of a civilization is not just the replacement of rulers or institutions with new rulers and new institutions, it is the destruction of a whole way of life and the painful and sometimes pathetic attempts to begin rebuilding among the ruins. Is that where America is headed? I believe it is. Our only saving grace is that we're not there yet. And we aren't there yet. Close, but we're not there yet. And uh, America has been on the brink, probably not like we are today in the past. And it has been people who really believe God that at least in areas have been able to see God turn things around. But it's the unbelief of our day that's killing us. And that's been really the issue. I'm going to be dealing somewhat with that in the conference coming up, and I would like to, I'm going to take a moment here for a go on in the message. Something a little different in this conference is that there's going to be several states that are going to be having pastors meeting together here, getting together to get a strategy for prayer and revival in their state, and I'm excited about that. And so if you are part of one of these states, or if you have connections in these states, encourage to get leadership uh, here, the state of Iowa is excited. They're going to be here. Obviously, you guys have connections with Iowa. State of Wisconsin, we've got leaders very excited about that. And, of course, we're burdened here being in our state, the state of Michigan. And, of course, Dr. Flanders is right in the middle of that, but uh, endeavoring, and some of you could really make a difference in your state, the state of Indiana is another one that is endeavoring to have a group of pastors here, state of Ohio, and uh, that's another state. 
Illinois, I talked to some pastors yesterday, they don't have a very cohesive group of pastors in that state. It's a unique state, uh, but uh, we're trusting that some good things can happen to states of Kentucky and Tennessee gathering together. So if you have uh, people that you know where you're from there, endeavor to get them here. What we're going to do is give at least two hours, maybe more, probably on Tuesday of the conference, and they'll have their own luncheon, lead their own meetings, and we'll do everything we can to encourage those meetings. But we've got to see God work today, and we're serious about it. And every pastor I've talked to have re has really responded uh, to the challenge that we have given. So uh, you can help us, you know, get... Uh, Get a pastor leader here, it uh, could really make the difference. But the unbelief really is the issue in believing that God can change people without us manipulating and compromising. Frankly, that's really what the problem has been. And in Colossians 4, we often refer, refer to this man named Epaphras. Epaphras probably was a convert of the Apostle Paul. I've gone over this before with you all. Epaphras... Um, probably was uh, saved in the ministry there at Ephesus, and then he went to the Lysus Valley and started the church most likely. We don't know 100% sure, it just seems that way from this epistle, started the church there in Colossae. You also had two other churches that were connected that was uh, in that valley, and that would have been Heropolis and the, and it's mentioned here, and the matter of the Laodiceans. And so uh, you have three churches that are affected. But the thing that stirred me here about uh, Epaphras was that he did not just think his effort was going to do it. He didn't think his methodology was going to be the key in bringing a move of God. He saw, and I want you to get this, Epaphras, and you can see it in chapter 2 in particular, and in other places, he saw the fact that uh, human thinking was coming into the church, as it always does. Satan is doing everything he can do to destroy the church. And so he came to get answers from the Apostle Paul, but more than just getting answers, we find in these couple of verses that the secret to that church going forward and why Paul could write this epistle was that there was a man who believed that God could transform people's lives. So look with me if you would, at uh, uh, verse 12 of chapter 4 of Colossians, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. Quite a testimony. That's inspired scripture. So this man was not uh, someone that maybe looked like he was a man that prayed this. The Holy Spirit said, here's a man that prays, and I want us, I want you in 2021 to realize that I honor people like this, and this is how the work of God goes forward. Now, young people... We know better, but it is so easy for us to depend upon ourselves. You get into a discipleship. Yay, God answered my prayer. And then you think you can convince that disciple to go forward. How many of you found that it isn't that easy? <laughs> you run into roadblocks, don't you? Man, you hit the wall. 
And then, you, then what happens is you go from self-confidence to fear and a sense of inadequacy and the impossibility of it. You know why most people in churches don't go soul winning? They tried it and it didn't work. Or in discipleship, they tried and then they got dropped. Now I'm serious. That's the number one reason. In a church where there's a heart for God and the Spirit of God is working, people will respond once or twice. But if they don't have victory, then they lose heart. Some are just scared to death because of failure. They can't handle failure. So in the midst of teaching about evangelism, training in evangelism, teaching about and preaching about discipleship, and training about discipleship, you have to have the constant call to prayer. Because if your people are not walking in victory and are not uh, praying for those that they're going to be reaching through evangelism, especially here in this context of discipleship, uh, they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to make it. But think about your own life. Haven't you run through that, that same course yourself where you had a little bit of failure and you sort of, eh. and then God stirred you to pray and you begin to say, Lord, I want to see somebody saved. I want to see a disciple. And what happened? God began to do miracles. But then you get the disciple and you've got to go through it all over again because it is a miracle of God's grace. Now think about it. Think of all the twists and turns in your life. Think how complicated you are. Think of what your parents have gone through. That's why your dad's bald. No. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, uh, that's why your mother has had to deal with anxiety. I mean, there's not a person, as sweet as you kids are, one, there's, not a, there's not one set of parents that hasn't been through it, right? How many of you would be honest to say, I have given my parents a few um, bad moments. How many of you would be honest to say that? Okay, all right. Well, if that's going to happen in a good home in which they're in control, aren't your disciples going to give you a few bad moments? Think about it. And think about the bad moments you give the Dean of Men and the Dean of Women. It's not over yet. And, uh, well, it's true, I guess. Uh, room leaders and hall leaders and dormitory supervisors and professors. And, you know, it's just, uh, guess what we're doing here at BCM? Discipleship, 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 right? So, let's don't be naive. Oh, I got the connection. I mean, we're in. And I am such a tremendous Bible teacher. And so I'm going to convince these people to be great people of God. Yeah, yeah. And you go down, sit down, all of a sudden you realize, oh boy, uh, they don't know anything. They got some big sin problems. They are not disciplined. Uh, they have character issues. And uh, on and on it goes, right? And so... To think that you can just whip off all those Bible studies and the connection and even go to the commission. Wow, by the way, those lessons in the commission without the power of God, some of them, they're very key, but you're not going to go counterculture without God's power. But let me just say, one of the most exciting things outside of just seeing somebody saved, and you just can't beat that, is seeing people transformed. Um, I was so tickled on Sunday morning 
uh, when our brother gave his testimony. If you could have heard my first few discipleships with him, I mean, he was your typical Chinese, I'm here to be successful, he's got a couple of PhDs, he's going up the ladder, he doesn't care where he has to move to get it done, his family was being drugged along, and a sincere fellow, but, and to hear him give that testimony after we've had some really toe-to-toe communication and God has worked in his heart, did you get that? God first, you know, he went right down the line, and where did his profession end up? At the bottom. And he, t- and he told me in front of uh, his wife last Saturday, I promise you, I will not let my profession move us or do anything out of the will of God. It's got to be God first. Hallelujah. But that's, that comes, that's a miracle. You know, and uh, I, I just think of all the Chinese folks that they are connected to. So it is a thrilling business. It'll encourage your faith. But I'm telling you, if you're not an intercessor, it isn't going to happen. Everybody hear me on this? And that's why we are emphasizing prayer over and over. If our church does not pray this weekend, and we're going to, a portion of our church will be there, we're not going to be able to navigate what's going on in our country in these days ahead. But last year, 2020, was an answer to prayer. And 2021 is going to have to be uh, an answer to prayer. So I want us to, uh, to get that. G. Hanley Moole, the great commentator of the 1800s, uh, it's wonderful how God brought him into revival thinking, uh, and uh, he was opposed to it. It's quite a story. In 1890, he said, May our master grant more followers of Epaphras to his church. We live in a period which sees amidst much to deplore an infinity of loving and elaborate painstaking in the work of the gospel whether in our home Christendom or far away. The air of Christian life resounds. It's sometimes almost agitated by the abundance of operations, organized or not, for every imaginable purpose of good. But it is to be much feared that the wrestling and the painstaking of Epaphras are not abundant in proportion, and we cannot possibly do without them. Let us pray that we may pray. And that's really true. Pray that you can pray and others will pray. Let us give our hearts no rest till we know what it is to do what Epaphras did for the converts of the Lysus Valley. And Spurgeon's famous comment, let me have your prayers and I can do anything. Let me be without my people's prayers and I can do nothing. Probably one of the greatest orators of all, but he knew he was totally powerless in working with people without the power that comes from prayer. So just some thoughts here. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ. Epaphras um, was, he had gotten over the unbelief that is so easily part of our life. He's one of you, yet he's doing this. He's one of you, and he's burdened because he is one of you. He is a servant. The the point is, all the personal human issues he had navigated and he had made it his responsibility to to pray. Now, you've got to get it out of your mind that there are just a few praying hides and people like that around. Uh, Every person here, if you would, you could be a great prayer warrior. 
Did you hear that? The only thing that keeps you from the heart of God is you. Every person here could be as great a prayer warrior as a George Mueller and others that we sort of hold up. But if we had seen them, they're just men like uh, women like we are. But they chose to pray. And so he didn't think prayer was for special people. And he understood that his relationship with the Lord was very key. And if he was going to do anything, it was going to have to be done through uh, that kind of relationship. And, and so whatever it is that's keeping us from praying, folks, we need to be broken about. Think of the people that you're part of. It's going to be, of course, obviously your family, your present church, the community that you are home-based in, and of course temporarily based here, but then it's going to be the ministry that you're in. And I'm telling you, there has to be an understanding. No ministry is going to be built and people are not going to be discipled without us identifying with them and being broken about it. You can't manufacture it. You know, sometimes you see something that burdens you, but that goes away. You know, there can be an emotional message, and that'll go away if the power of God is not there. But when you're praying, and this has happened over and over, I'll be praying, obviously I go right through all of our folks and all of you and so forth, uh, but when, when you're praying, all of a sudden, God begins to grip your heart. God begins to give you His heart. And you see in these two verses, Epaphras prayed so much that he was intricately identified with those people and he wasn't going to let go until God worked. And so let's talk about discipleship. You actually can get frustrated with disciples. You actually can dread discipleship. Now, I love discipleship. I mean, it's just like a refreshing, but there have been moments where Wow, I've had a couple of people battle me like it's unbelievable. And in some of those cases are still here in the church and going on. Praise the Lord, God won the victory. But you've got to get broken about them. The only way that's going to happen is you've got to be really praying for them. And God will give you His heart. He'll give you His perspective. He will change your, your um, feelings about them, if I can use that term. And, and here's what you've got to think. If they don't turn their lives, I mean, they're going to have a, their life isn't going to mean anything. It's the same way we ought to think about people that are lost. If they don't get saved, they're going to hell. And uh, without having the wrong kind of introspective emotion, we ought to be broken about that. Every one of us are guilty of people that are probably even in hell today that we did not witness to. And that's a horrifying thought. But for those that are um, saved, now, when you get into leadership ministry, you're going to have certain ones that just frustrate you because they're just not responding. That's where the, that kind are, are won through genuine prayer. That's why um, if you're not having something like the hour with God on a regular basis, you are going to be attempting all kinds of things to be successful because you aren't going to be seeing the miracles that it takes to see people's lives transformed. I tell you, if you're going to be a youth director for a while, you better get a broken heart. And you can't manufacture that. 
Evangelists can't be professional going in and out of churches. You've got to have a broken heart for people. Uh, how are you going to have that? It's only going to come through prayer. It's supernatural. Missionaries. I'm telling you, cultures can be hard to accept. They're different. You know, I mean, I love going old. I've been every continent except for Antarctica. Um, and uh, I haven't felt called there recently. But anyway, <laughs> I've been to every continent. Man, I get so burdened for the folks. But also, I think I'm sort of glad to leave, you know, and get back to America. I mean, I hate to admit that from a human standpoint because there are just a lot of things that are difficult. And there is a whole mindset that you've got to deal with. How do, you, how do missionaries overcome that? <clears throat> or to where they're total broken love for the, their people? Prayer. There's just no way around it. And I think the key here, and I already alluded to it, he was a servant of Christ. And so he, he was broken about his own will. And we've talked so much about surrender, but uh, that whole matter of the self-life is something that we have to look at. And, and honestly, the self-life will kill your discipleship. Now, young people, I want you, I want you to get this. If we were even half what we ought to be in discipleship, a Christianity would be exploding in America. I mean, we talk about one every year that's producing, you know, because of our discipleship. And that's, we need far more than that. But that's not happening. And God's powerful. Your life can, can absolutely be used of God to transform someone. I mean, it's real. You can see miracles happen. And, and I'm so thankful for, at your age, some of the miracles that I, th uh, that I saw that helped me. But I'm telling you, if you go through college and are not praying for God to use you to break through in discipleships, you are going to go into the ministry with unbelief. And you are going to be a candidate for compromise. Mark my word. I really, we uh, are desperate for you as leaders, but I encourage you at this stage, get desperate for yourself. Lord, teach me what you can do. Honestly, while you're here, there ought to be people that you are able to see go on that are still sitting in the chairs when you leave. And you're excited because they're going on for God. Every Christian should have that. And by the way, it is sweet. There's a lot of BCM disciples that are still sitting in the chairs out there and uh, uh, that's a, a huge blessing but think of what would happen in your church and here if it was really occurring I mean it ought to be something to stir you because discipleship is God's plan so we need a brokenness about it and then secondly you know why we hold back in a genuine prayer that wins in discipleship it's a lot of work it's not just time. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you in, in prayer, you have to get past yourself. Key times of prayer and fasting are exhausting. Uh, when we have times like what we'll have coming up here for the conference where we'll be praying for several days, uh, three, four days in a row fasting, I'm telling you, it takes me a couple of days to recover from that. And you go through times in which you feel so weak, it's unbelievable. And then God begins to get you, give you a passion for the people that you're praying for and, and a burden, and it's supernatural. And it, it is our bodies, uh, 
It's, it's just like with, with Christ, he sweat great drops of blood. Uh, when we're really in connection with the Lord, it, it is a strenuous thing. It's not that we work it up, he works it up. It's because of him, it's not us. But I think it's very significant that you, you see here, always laboring fervently. It, uh, laboring earnestly is from a, the Greek word in which we transliterate agonize and uh, has the idea in grueling competition, uh, all, just that kind of total focus uh, of giving everything, uh, putting yourself totally into it. And we certainly see the agony that Christ was in, Luke twenty-two forty-four, in praying for us. Spurgeon said, Know of, of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayers. And do we not get in the habit sometimes of just going through the prayer list? Which is good. I'd rather you have the habit but I'm telling you, it's wonderful when God gets a hold of you. You know, uh, you can't work up tears. And I'm telling you, in the middle of prayer, all of a sudden, God just shows you the need of somebody. And you just can't help but weep. That wears you out. But you know, it makes all the difference in your prayer. And it sure makes a difference when you see that person again. It's not about you being successful in discipleship. It's about them being delivered. You know, we're so conscious of ourselves. I've got to see somebody saved. No, people need to be saved. Or I've got to have a good discipleship time. No, the people need to be delivered. Well, I want to have a good lesson in my uh, Sunday school hour. No, those students need deliverance, right? And, and honestly, without prayer, you cannot get rid of the self-life. You are going to be doing the ministry and it's going to be about you being successful, not about the, the purpose of what you're doing being accomplished. And I really trust you'll hear me on this. This is, it's a subtle but extremely major difference. You don't care. You know, my dad often would say, sometimes what you consider maybe wasn't your best message may be the very one that God used to dramatically change the paradigm of your church. And God humbles you as you're preparing and you're crying out to God. And even when you go, it isn't smooth. You don't have that real sense of, of it uh, coming across, but it is the burden of God. And God is breaking through in hearts and he's not letting it be that you did such a great job. It's a God shows the strength in our weakness. Have you ever noticed, have you ever had a, what you considered somewhat of a lousy discipleship lesson? but you've really been burdened and all of a sudden you'll find out a week later that they made that decision to do that. How did that happen? And I was stumbling all over the place, you know, and, uh, and then you realize, no, that was the power of God. So uh, it's, he was really giving of himself. And uh, I just want you, to, I want to encourage you, when was the last time that God got a hold of your heart for your disciple, for your Sunday school class, for the people that you're with. When was the last time you know you were thinking like Christ thinks? When was the last time that God just exposed your, what's holding back in that, in your own self life? Folks, that's prayer time. 
That's what I'm trying to get to. We can talk about discipleship. I can give all the different angles, but if this student body doesn't get on their face before God, it will not happen. And if this church doesn't, it only partially does. And it just, I was talking to Brother Pope, you could sense with the message last night, that is where he has to take his church and he is crushed by it. Well, praise the Lord, God's working. And that's what we got to have. And you notice also, it's not just a prayer time, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. When, and this is, you know, this whole praying always, uh, there's, you know, abiding in Christ is really the secret in uh, uh, John chapter 15. But when God gets through to you for someone, then you keep thinking about it. Once God breaks your heart and you nurture that, you're not the same. Uh, I've had this happen on a number of occasions. When God's broken my heart for somebody, I have to be careful because sometimes the next time I see them, tears will come in my eyes. Because I've seen through their outward problems and God gave me a burden for for them. Sometimes I find myself talking to them, they get a little embarrassed (laughs) because they have no idea why I'm emotional, but I'm thinking this person's in need. This is terrible. I can't tell them, you're terrible, you know. <laughs> you got a problem. But, uh, but you know what? They can tell that you care. They can tell that there's something about you that's, that's real in that. And that, you know, you really will. You have a good time at 6.30 in the morning. You know, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, God can easily get a hold of your heart. You can stop for five minutes and say, Lord, I don't know what's happened to that person, but would you work in their heart? It's just, God does it. Then God, before you go to bed, all of a sudden that same person comes in and your heart keeps burdened. Folks, listen, that's a wonderful thing. And you know what's going to happen when you get with them in discipleship, whether they're responding well or not, you are absolutely confident God's going to work. Because God got a hold of your heart. You responded to it. You keep crying out to the Lord. He's answering prayer. And even if they're stubborn at the moment or acting goofy like some of the teens do and so forth, it doesn't matter. You know that God's going to break through. It's the same thing, by the way, as when you get to be parents. Please listen to me on this. Your children thrive off of your confidence that they're going to turn out. If you get hopeless and worried and all that, they'll pick that up and they'll think something's wrong with them. Because all of them have huge developmental things that they have to deal with spiritually and every other way, maturity-wise. But when you get a hold of God and God breaks your heart for them and you continually have a broken heart and He assures you that He's working, you can look at Him and say, God's going to really use you. And you know it. And they feed off that. I can give you different places and neighborhoods where I was walking, rooms where I was praying, where God gave me assurance that God was going to be with my children. And that makes all the difference of your relationship. I trust you'll get a hold of me on this. Don't forget that little point. Because your children have got to feed off of your confidence in God that He's going to bring them through. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge difference. By the way, pastors, your church will thrive off of your confidence that the church is going to make it through. But you can't 
you can't convince people on a rah-rah kind of talk. It's got to come through prayer. So it's, it's always, and it's a continuous duty. And it's got to be empowered, of course, by uh, the Spirit of God. If you look down at verse 13, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal. Now, where did that come from? That wasn't because Epaphras had a really high-level personality. <laughs> that zeal came because the Spirit of God got a hold of his heart. Don't you like a holy enthusiasm with somebody? Don't you like people that are just thrilled about Jesus? By the way, I'm not talking about working it up and uh, some of this pious kind of stuff. Please, I can't. That won't work. But I'm telling you, if we could use a whole more dose of being excited about Jesus and having a zeal. And that zeal comes when the Spirit of God breaks your heart and you see. And, and see, not only does He break your heart, He doesn't make you hopeless. He fills you with hope. He gives you confidence. You're going to see it through and you begin to get excited and Jesus shows how much He loves them and you realize what a wonderful Savior. And I'm telling you, you're just filled with zeal. God's going to break through and lives are being transformed. Listen, nothing like you having 20 new converts on fire for God around. That'll, that'll fire up a church. Nothing like being a, with a new convert yourself and they're getting excited about the things of God. It'll change your life. And we've got to light, we've got to be a flame that lights the spiritual fire of one another. Don't be afraid to be a zealous Christian. Don't be too cool for that. Now don't put it on. Forget that stuff. But man, I'm telling you, if you're excited about Jesus, go tell somebody. Let me look at you. This is, don't you know this is Monday? <laughs> what are you so excited about? You know? And uh and again, you've got to be careful. It can't be human at all. But I tell you, it doesn't take but about 10 seconds with somebody's walking with Jesus and it just stirs your heart. And so he had this zeal. And, and what was the zeal about? For you. He got the zeal. Why? Because he had broken through in prayer and he knew God was going to work. And it seems like God did work at Colossae. Colossae wasn't mentioned. It was Laodicea that was mentioned. Uh, Colossae was really where his heart was. And then the final thing is what was he praying for? What kind of advance did he want? Back up to verse 12, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And it has the idea of mature, fully developed, and, uh, it's, and the thing that really nails it down is in all the will of God. Now, does it make a difference when we pray right and pray for people to really be transformed? And see, you've got to really know what you're praying for. That's what we're going to be talking about. What are the steps of discipleship? What are the things that need to be changed? What is a really on-fire Christian? And obviously, folks, you can't lead somebody to that kind of a Christian if you're not that. The biggest problem in American Christianity, I've said it several times in chapel, is that we're um, weak Christianity is discipling weak Christianity. That's what's happening. We, we reproduce ourselves. And so that's a, a big challenge. But this matter of uh, really seeing people go on, I love the story 
of D.E. Host. He was the man that took over for uh, Hudson Taylor with the China Inland Mission. And he wrote a book entitled Behind the Ranges. He was trying to analyze a problem and as he was working in two different villages. The people with whom he lived and worked just weren't doing very well. But the people in the other village way across the mountains were having revival. What was the difference? What was he doing wrong? He visited them only here and there. But they were always moving on. So he began to ask the Lord what was going on. And then he figured it out. He was desperate in prayer for them but depended upon himself for the village that he lived in. In other words, he prayed Epaphras prayers for the, the region on the other side of the mountains because he couldn't be there all the time. So he didn't have any self-dependence. He didn't, had to believe God, and God brought revival. But he depended on the typical mentality that I can do this in his own region, and there's nothing happening. I think that's one of the best examples I know of, the difference between prayer and self-dependence. And it was a lesson that absolutely transformed his life when the Holy Spirit finally got a hold of him about that. Now, this is where, folks, in the midst of all that's going on today, you better get it clear. What does a spirit-filled Christian look like? We need to be holy. We need to be separate. We need to be totally given to God, surrendered. And if that's not what you have as an ideal for Christianity, you're not going to pray with fervor. And let me say this, if you're not disturbed about the weaknesses in your life, you will not pray fervently for the transformation of somebody else. But if God's constantly taking you to new levels because He's showing you your self-life and giving you answers and you're thrilled about what God is doing and you believe that God can work, then you're going to be desperate to see the same thing happen in other people's lives. So the problem is, you know, we, we can be, all right, they did the book. They filled out their lesson. They came to church. Great. That is good. But you're depending on the preaching. You're depending on other people to see them through. If you are living in revival, then your only standard for that other person that you're working with is revival. And you can't do it. And it's got to be God. Well, you hung in there well. You got a, a bunch of tired students. And uh, I should have had you do calisthenics halfway through. But uh, you did pretty well. I mean, I lost you for maybe five seconds at a time. It was okay. Uh, but I uh, appreciate all the work that you did. But I want you to remember, I want you to remember <clears throat> this lesson. Folks, prayer is not one part of a church. It's at the core of what a church is and what a, a person is. If you don't get anything else, obviously you've got to get theology out of BC and you've got to get right belief system. But I want you to get a hold of a prayer life or it's not been worth us doing this. You can have everything that God wants for you if you pray. I really, uh, you know, I have to hold back emotion right now because that, it is it. It's it. Please take like this the coming weekend seriously. One of the hardest things I'm going to do is lead that prayer meeting for three week, for three days. That's a battle against the flesh. It's a, it is a spiritual battle, but our church has got to seek the Lord. In the conference, it seems like I'm hitting the same note all the time, but I've got to deal with individual prayer or we're not going to get that fearless advance. 
And folks, it, this is where we have gone wrong. I mean, we can have all, you listen, you guys can speculate and you can get in the coffee shop and figure out all the different things about Bible Christianity today. But I tell you what, most of it will get figured out if you'll take elongated times on your face before God and in this book. That's where it's at. That's where God works. So I, there's really an emphasis right now on prayer. We are in a mess. We're sort of in a lull right now. But the executive order's coming down. He's by far had the most executive orders of any president. Uh, they're now, even the New York Times and Washington Post are calling him the dictator president. So at least they're coming, especially the Washington Post, which is an amazing thing. It's, it's, it's atrocious what's happening. And um, you realize that, that just one thing alone, the matter of $15 an hour minimum wage, certainly want people to make, but you realize what that's going to do to institutions? Big colleges won't make it. Plus, you lose the accreditation and the government uh, grants. And there's many other things that are happening that are going to change the landscape. And I'll tell you what, it will be within two years that we're going to be feeling the pressure that we've got to hire LBGTQ people. We will not. And we're not closing our doors either. And we're going on. And, I, you know, and I'm not just trying to be tough. I, that's a deep conviction. We will be biblical. But I'm telling you, as I mentioned a few a couple of weeks ago, we won't be biblical if we're not biblical in prayer and discipleship and walking with God and having a real life that, that pleases God. And so young people, you, this is your opportunity to wake up to what it's all about. And the only way to really wake up is to spend the time with the Lord. But more than just spending the time, when that hour clicks off, you may not have labored earnestly. Let God break your heart. Be willing to be worn out <laughs> for the cause of Christ. So just uh, really just felt burdened to give this to you because I want all these pieces to come together. We have several months of discipleship potential, but we've got to pray. We've got to pray. Some of you are working with teenagers that, well, we need miracles, right? <laughs> Some of you got situations that are very difficult. It's amazing what God will do.